My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Rihanna Brown and Shana Kalixt. Black Canadian scholar Rinaldo Walcott has described the experiences of black communities and individuals in this country as, quote, an absented presence always under erasure, end quote. Perhaps the most common way this shows up is the tendency to relate to black people, anti-black racism, and black struggle as central to American life, but absent or peripheral in Canada. But of course, black people have been here pretty much as long as white people. Canada has its own centuries-long history of slavery and of surveillance, policing, state violence, and other forms of racism targeting black people. And Canada has been a site of powerful organizing and mobilizing in the context of the long black freedom struggle, including its most recent iteration under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Within dominant imaginings of Canada, black presence tends to be grudgingly admitted as a feature of, say, Toronto and a few other big cities, but most of the rest of the country gets imagined as white. Not only is this a violent erasure of indigenous peoples, it also often erases the reality that there are black people in these places, and other racialized people too. And again, there have been for a long time, as well as anti-black racism, black struggle, and black thriving, even though the shape of these realities may look quite different than they do in Toronto. Sudbury, Ontario is one such space. It is a small city in Ontario's near north, historically based on the mining industry. It is often imagined as a very white place, despite being Anishinaabe territory and having a powerful history and present reality of indigenous presence and resistance. And mainstream application of the more recent local narrative of being tricultural meaning Anglophone, Francophone, and Indigenous, has often left no space for the fact that there are and have been black people and other racialized people in the city. But in the last year or so, black Sudburyans and others have been pushing back against that erasure, against anti-black racism, and against racial injustice more broadly. Rihanna Brown grew up in Brampton, Ontario, and moved to Sudbury seven years ago to go to architecture school, which she completed last year. Shana Kalixt grew up in Ottawa, went to grad school in Toronto, and has lived in Sudbury since 2007, and she currently works as a manager in the public health sector in the area of mental health and addictions. In the context of the resurgence in 2020 of the continent-wide movement in defense of black lives, which happened in the wake of the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, people involved in a few different strands of activity that were already happening in the city came together to form Black Lives Matter Sudbury. Brown is the group's co-president, and Calixt is its director of community relations. The group's first big event was organized last year for Juneteenth, a holiday celebrating the emancipation of enslaved people in the United States. And since then, they've been very busy. Their work has included engaging with local government and promoting the idea of reallocating some resources from policing to community supporting services. They've done numerous presentations to community organizations and in schools and post-secondary institutions about racial justice and the struggle for black lives. They've collaborated with local artists and arts festivals, which has resulted in an exhibition, a ground mural, a short documentary film, and more. 
They're having conversations about how to create spaces in the city focused on healing and wellness for black people. And in addition, an important priority for the group is building solidarity between black and indigenous people in the city. Their most ambitious event to date will be happening on February 27th and 28th. Called Here to Stay Baby, a Northern Intersectional Caucus, it will feature panels on topics like defunding the police, queer experiences in the North, black indigenous solidarity, the rise of fascism in Northern communities, and black experiences of higher education. I speak with Brown and Calixt about what the struggle for black lives looks like in Sudbury and about their upcoming event. My name is Shana Calixt and my pronouns are she and her. I'm originally from what we now call Ottawa, but spent some time in Toronto or what we call Toronto and moved to Nswakamak, what we now call Sudbury, back in 2007. Currently, the work that I'm doing is really focused on mental health and addictions. Back in the early 2010s, I joined an organization called NISA, Northern Initiative for Social Action, and then was the executive director. That organization provides mental health and addiction support for people with lived experience of mental health and addictions challenges. Then worked with the Ministry of Health, and now I'm working with public health, looking at more upstream approaches to mental health, including mental health promotion, looking at opioid use, substance use, and supporting people who use substances with various community care options within our city. I joined Black Lives Matter earlier in 2020, and I am the Director of Community Relations. Hi, my name is Rihanna Brown. I am one of the co-presidents of Black Lives Matter Sudbury. I'm originally from Brampton, Ontario, but I moved to Sudbury about seven years ago to attend the then new McEwen School of Architecture. And then this past year, I just finished my Master's of Architecture at the school. I was studying the architectural segregation of Chicago. And through that research, I got really interested in the intersection of art and activism or artivism. And then as the summer progressed, I saw there was a lot of demonstrations happening in Sudbury. And I decided to get involved with our Juneteenth rally being the first one where I spoke. And then from there, I joined Black Lives Matter. And in terms of who Black Lives Matter said we are, we're a group of like-minded individuals, activists from Northern Ontario. We talk about systemic justice and systemic change. We were created only in June or July of 2020, so a really new organization. This event that we are working towards is our Here to Stay Baby and Northern Intersectional Caucus. And the idea of this event was to create an intersectional, inclusive event, a series of eight panels where we would talk about the experience of marginalized individuals in Northern Ontario. Tell me a bit more about your personal trajectories. How did you become someone likely to get involved in this kind of grassroots work? An early memory of mine, when I think about racial justice, back when I was in elementary school, my vice principal's name was Jean Tricky. And Dr. Jean Tricky is a well-known Canadian who helped desegregate one of the early schools in Ontario. And she was my vice principal. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> you know, I was eight, nine, ten years old. But every Martin Luther King Day, she brought myself and a group of Black folks in Ottawa to the Eternal Flame, where we sang, we shall overcome. And I got to speak a little bit about, you know, being a young Black girl living in Ottawa, surrounded by this Caribbean community, but realizing, you know, what it meant to be a young Black girl in Ottawa in the 1980s. I was constantly doing projects on you know, racism, mainly in the States at the time. That was what held my attention. So looking at Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And then as I became more aware of gender inequality, thinking about the various women and their experiences. So Angela Davis, for instance, 
and just focusing on what it meant to exist during the time that they did, but also in my reality as a young Black girl growing up in a mainly white town of Ottawa. And then I moved to Toronto to do my graduate schoolwork. And the feminism that I had just sort of touched on before then began to explode. So a lot of work I did centered around definitely feminism, queer activism, anti-racist activism, anti-war activism, attended a couple of anti-WTO protests in Quebec City and also in Washington, D.C. And that really fueled my passion to speak out against injustice. Moving to Sudbury, I tried to find instantly the communities that I had become so connected to in Toronto, so queer communities, feminist communities, you know, and found the differences there as a result of being in a mainly white city that had a strong history of Indigenous organizing, thinking about my place as, you know, a Black, um, and I don't consider myself a settler, but definitely somebody who's occupying territories that are contested. One of the surprising parts of my movement through activism was my engagement in mental health activism and thinking about the impacts that racism, oppression, colonialism have on people's mental health. That's a big piece of the work that I do now. Continuing to do Take Back the Night marches, Pride marches, and then, of course, community organizing, but definitely keeping in mind the impact of mental health and mental illness that comes out of having to negotiate with institutions that are oppressive. So finding myself now working with Black Lives Matter is just the perfect fit and actually just a welcomed fit because I think I've been searching for specifically a Black community, but definitely a BIPOC community since arriving here 15 years ago. For me, when I was in my master's, I was doing the research, like I had mentioned, on the architectural segregation of Chicago. So looking at how architecture played a role in the segregation of the South Side, when I started to do my research and uncovering this idea of how architecture influenced the way the communities are set up now, I really started to do this deep dive into Black history, predominantly American history. And it brought me way back in time beyond the civil rights movement, looking at slavery and looking at how our history created the society and the way in which our place in this world as Black people is. And then I started to look at where we are today and what has actually changed and just uncovering these different things that I hadn't know about, these laws that had been created and these situations which the community had to face historically. And then from there, I got this like fiery passion within me. I wanted to know more. I had to know more. And I started to really delve deeper into things and looking more at different forms of activism and then what role Sudbury played. And then kind of things just filed from there. This was the first time I was looking at unfiltered Black history. And it was so weird because I was 23 and I was like, why is this the first time that I'm learning about this? And it made me look at Canadian history more this holier-than-thou thing that Canadians tend to have where, oh, well, we're not as bad as the States. And it's like, maybe the blatant racism may not be there, but we definitely have this systemic racism that's built within our institutions. And from there, it's just anytime there's something that's activism-related pops up, I'm like, I need to be involved. I need to learn more. And just needing to make a stand, needing to make a change. Talk about Sudbury. Where is it? What's the community like? What's the social and political context? It's a mid-sized city. It's considered part of Northern Ontario, though people more Northern than us, like in Thunder Bay, for instance, would probably laugh at that. We're about three and a half hours away from Toronto, and about 168,000 is the population. Some of the main industries are mining. We've got a lot of healthcare as well here, and a number of universities and colleges. So most people work in one of those three areas. 
When I arrived, I wasn't sure what to expect. And so what I've come to discover is that we think of ourselves as being a tri-cultural city. So English, French, and Indigenous. And anyone who lives here can tell you that that really is hard for a number of people to stomach because, of course, there is discrimination against Francophones and intense, intense discrimination, racism against Indigenous folks in the city. So this is sort of the backdrop in which we organize in that we recognize that certain people have less privilege in Sudbury as a result of either not having their first language as English or being Indigenous. But we don't recognize necessarily that there are quite a number of other people who are also living in the city who are experiencing the effects of marginalization because of the mainly white, mainly Anglophone communities that are here. I think the other thing that's also important is that recently there have been an influx of newcomers to our city as a result of what's happening around the world because of imperialism and other such things. So there are a number of people who are here from specifically French-speaking Africa, from parts of South Asia, and they're captured under the category of either refugee or newcomer, for instance which I think it's important that more people are recognizing that, you know, we have an influx of people who are going to experience marginalization because of their very obvious difference, because they are obviously racialized as not white. But what it does is that it changes our conversation in the city to not even look at the people who are not necessarily in any of those categories. So our conversations are, I think, many years behind when it comes to talking about anti-racism. So words like multiculturalism continue to pervade our conversations. Cultural differences are words that are often used. Things like racial equity, anti-racism, anti-oppression, you know, racial justice is not the language of the communities here. Black Lives Matter, the work that we do is steeped in a lot of that theory and a lot of that engagement. So it means that the city that has seen itself as a very white city, you know, suddenly changing, has a lot of pushback to some of the ways in which we're trying to interrupt those conversations. Sudbury is a changing space, but it hasn't been an easy change. When I first came here, I remember everybody was asking me, oh, how do you like Sudbury? What's Sudbury like? And I was like, it's really white. Like, having been born in the GTA. Uh, That's the greater Toronto area where things are so much more diverse. And then coming to Sudbury, and it's very obvious that white people make up the majority here. Sudbury has this very interesting and beautiful arts community, which I think a lot of people don't know. And in BLM, we played a very big part in doing art recently with certain festivals and stuff this summer. But the arts community here is so beautiful. But even still in that community, there's discrimination. It's a huge area where we still need growth. And I think that we have eons of years to go before we get to a place that's acceptable and safe and respectable for everybody. But I think that definitely the work we're doing with BLM and a lot of things that were precipitated by 2020, we're on the way there. How did Black Lives Matter Sudbury take shape last summer? Back in the summer of 2020, there was a few rallies that were held around town. It was a lot of well-known activists in town, folks like Shana and some of our other original members who were there. And they started this organization called Surge, showing up for racial justice, I believe. And then all of a sudden, there was an Instagram page created for Black Lives Matter Sudbury. At the same time, the other co-president, Tara Pachet, her cousin, Regis Kortinski-Pake, who lost her life due to police intervention in Toronto in the end of May of last year. Jakara started to really rally and protest and do demonstrations in regards to that. 
And then leading up to June, there's this big talk around Juneteenth in the Western world. And everyone was talking about different Juneteenth celebrations or events that were going to happen. And then a bunch of us just kind of were like, let's get involved, let's participate. Because up until that point, I had only been attending demonstrations. I hadn't actually been leading anything. And then Juneteenth came and we just threw this massive event in Sudbury. And there were so many people who turned out and we spoke and we marched in the streets and it was huge. And it was so liberating and incredible to see that many folks come out. First of all, that many Black folks come out because so frequently we hear there's no Black folks in Sudbury. But it's so not true. There's so many Black people who live in Sudbury. And then on top of that, the amount of allies who showed up and the people who were just showing up to support us. So we did this massive march. And then following that, the group got together and we kept talking about, you know, let's become a BLM chapter. And then from there, we just started having more frequent and more intense meetings, talking about how we could mobilize and create these positive actions within the greater Sudbury area. We started applying to become an official Black Lives Matter chapter. And then before we knew it, we elected a board, we had regular members showing up, and now we're at a point where we meet regularly and we're creating different actions. We still have a long way to go because in the grand scheme of things, we're like a six-month-old organization, maybe seven months old. So everything is still so new to us, but it's just so beautiful to see how far we've come in these past couple months. What other kinds of activities and actions has the group engaged in? When I look at the work that Black Lives Matter has done, it's really sort of made a presence in our city. So one of the things that Black Lives Matter is quite well known for is around defunding the police. When we first started, we were just trying to get our bearings, right? Trying to think of what would be the most important thing to talk about. And, you know, we were new. A lot of us were new to activism. And so we put out a statement. It didn't actually really matter what we had said. Just the fact that we had announced ourselves as being part of the city, that we were members of this community, we'd always been, that we weren't going away, and we were going to make sure that people understood that racial justice needed to be discussed, talked about, and dealt with, was going to cause a stir. So some of the things that we've done is really educate the community about the presence of Black people in Sudbury, the importance of recognizing racism to challenge the fact that the way in which we've done things has not really worked. So that does include challenging the police and asking them about the budgets that they have and what supports could be better used with some of that funding. So we did have a presentation to council in September of last year. We had three demands, one around art, one around education, and one around defunding the police. We didn't receive a very good response to that, which shouldn't be surprising to your listeners. But basically what it showed is that we weren't going to shut up. We are going to be here. So after that presentation to council, we did get a lot of people coming to us to find out more about what we were about. So we've done a number of presentations to organizations, to classrooms, at universities, to individuals who just want to learn more because all they know about Black Lives Matter is the sensationalized pieces that they see in the news and mainly in the American news. Tonight, we're once again presenting to council who's done an open call around homelessness. And we've inserted ourselves to say that we can't have this conversation about homelessness without real conversations around anti-racism, specifically anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism. It's been demonstrations on demonstrations, which is kind of our core foundation at the beginning, which is great. But it's important for us to recognize that not everything that we want to achieve can be achieved through a rally or a demonstration. One of the big things that we did this past summer was we did this massive arts collaboration with We Live Up Here. 
They host Up Here Festival annually in Sudbury. They bring in talented artists and musicians and installation artists. And they invited me to be their guest curator. The main task that I had really was to do Black arts programming. And then another project that we did with Up Here, which we recently launched, was a short documentary called Amplify. And it's this beautiful, beautiful short film done by Isaac Bayankula, who's our director of communications. And it's three Black women talking about their lives and experiences living in Sudbury in the North. And then another project that we did, which was really exciting, was we did this ground mural. At the time, a lot of organizations were doing these massive ground murals, you know, Black Lives Matter, and like a lot of people across the United States and Canada were doing them, and we decided to do one. But rather than putting Black Lives Matter, we put BIPOC Lives Matter, because like Sheena had said, we need to recognize Indigenous solidarity as well as part of the work that we do. And there are Indigenous folks in town who are marginalized as well. There are people of color who are marginalized as well. But aside from that, it's just been taking every day at a time. And there's so many things that arise because a lot of the things that we're doing is just quick reach outs or quick calls to action. Or someone will just send us a message on social media be like, hey, did you hear this is happening? And we're like, okay, let's draft a statement of solidarity. How can we do a social media action? So a lot of the work that we do is really on the fly on the day to day. Tell me about the big event you have coming up on February 27th and 28th. The event that we are planning is called Here to Stay Baby, a Northern Intersectional Caucus. It's eight panels of amazing folks from across Northern Ontario who are going to be talking about their experiences. The idea is that we really want to elevate these voices of folks that so frequently have been discriminated against, oppressed and held down, and really give them this safe space, this equitable platform where they can share their experiences with like-minded individuals, but also educate folks in the community. We're employing a local Black artist to do like a design for the event. And we have so many, so many incredible community sponsors who have been coming to support us. And one of the best things I think we're doing with this event is we're creating this booklet. It's going to have all of the speakers and all the panels, but also a description of all the panels, an idea of what the Northern Caucus is, what BLM is, to kind of give folks this like mini resource book talking about who we are and what the intentions are for this We really wanted to focus on topics that are on the lips of people across Turtle Island. So first of all, we have a panel on policing, talking about not only the experiences of Black people in police, but other marginalized folks in police. So sex workers, queer folks, Indigenous folks. The other one that comes to mind is around Blackademia, we're calling it, the experiences of Black people in academia. So asking folks who are grad students, students, professors, what their experience has been in Northern Ontario as part of academia. And the third one that I will talk about is Black Indigenous solidarity. So we've mentioned quite a few times how we really try to ground our work in decolonized practice and, you know, recognizing that so much work that's been done by Indigenous folks in this city There's so much, unfortunately, shared trauma, but also I don't want to forget about the shared resiliency between Black and Indigenous communities, whether that's around policing, whether that's around pushing back against colonization, you know, forming support groups, holding on to cultural experiences that are necessary and to show that they're thriving. So that panel is also going to have some good conversation, I think, about moving forward in collaboration and solidarity. One of my favorites, the title is Let Me Be Perfectly Queer. So talking about the Northern queer experience, which should be really exciting. There's going to be a panel on fascism in the North, how it presents in Northern communities. So I think that'll be a really educational panel for folks to come in. 
The last panel that I'm really, really excited for is Here to Stay, Baby, the Birth of Black Lives Matter, Sadbury. We'll be talking about our growth, our development, what our goals are, what we have accomplished, why the organization started, why we're still going and talking about this stuff like that, because activism work is honestly exhausting. And you get some of the least respect in doing activism work. Because so frequently we do the work and then you turn to the message board and somebody's calling us looters or so frequently people just don't understand what being an activist actually is or what Black Lives Matter Sudbury actually stands for, the work we actually do. When we come together as Black Lives Matter Sudbury, for some of us, this was the first time we really were in a group of Black folk in town. And it was the first time where we were really immersed with like-minded individuals who, when we were upset, we all could feel the hurt. At the end of the day, the reason we started Black Lives Matter Sudbury is because a lot of us were grieving. We were feeling the hurt and the upset of the atrocities that were transpiring. And so to be a part of this group where we can all grieve together, feel the same emotions and share all these things together was so healing and it was so beautiful. And that's like this underlying detail of the caucus is a space for people to come and heal and share and talk about these experiences. You've talked about the importance of Black Indigenous solidarity for the work of Black Lives Matter in Sudbury particularly. What do you see as being the areas of opportunity to really advance that solidarity in the city and also the potential challenges? Definitely around policing. That is one area that a good conversation can be held. I think it's a very hard topic to talk about because it's automatically ignored. When we did our presentation to the council, we were basically said, like, I don't know why you're talking about this because I support the police. Like, as if there's never been a concern around policing ever. When we talk about this, we're talking about an institution. We're talking about an institution that needs to change, just like we need to talk about the institutions of healthcare, the institutions of schooling. You know, policing as an institution needs to be changed. We're asking for a very small reduction in the budget, 10% of a $65 million budget. And, you know, the reaction was quite huge. So I think there's definitely a conversation around policing. I think that when we talk about colonization, that is understood in a certain way. One of the reasons why I don't consider myself a settler, because there's a history of colonization and slavery for a number of Black people. And having to think about our complex relationship with land, specifically if you have a history of slavery where you were stolen from a land and brought to what we now call North America for a number of us, brings us right into conversation, I think, with Indigenous peoples, very important work around land back, for instance, and reclaiming land and working to honour treaties that have been broken multiple times and ways. So I think there's definitely a conversation there that can happen. And then there's just this experience of living in brown bodies in a city that has seen brown and black bodies as being scary and disgusting and all those things. I speak as someone who is currently partnered to an Indigenous man, where we have these conversations about what it means to walk through the world as ourselves and how important it is to think about love and beauty and acceptance from this decolonized perspective. And I continue to hope that we can see those connections moving forward. We've had a number of Indigenous folks show up to our protests, our rallies, speaking in our events. And I think that there is some work we can do as Black people to show up for Indigenous people in the city as well. You have been listening to my interview with Rihanna Brown and Shana Kalixt of Black Lives Matter Sudbury. To find out more about the group, 
and about Here to Stay Baby and Northern Intersectional Caucus happening on February 27th and 28th, go to blmsudbury.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.